Coming to you live from our worldwide headquarters in Virginia Beach, Virginia, this is the Future EDU Podcast with your host, Josh Gillesner. Thank you so much, Barry. Welcome, friends, colleagues, family, parents, administrators, teachers, anyone interested in the future of education. This is the Future EDU Podcast, the official podcast of STEMology Education. You can find us on the web at stemologyedu.com. And my name is Josh Glessner. I will be your host, hopefully, for the next several hundred episodes. And today, I'm super thrilled that we get to kick off our very first episode, our breakout episode, our debut, and I'm just thrilled that everybody is here. I I wanted to thank real quickly the team that helped me put this together, uh, our production team, the people who gave me feedback on the ideas, and uh, my goal with this podcast is quite simple. It's to talk about the mission of STEMology education by doing a number of things. At Stemology Education, we bring or we work with elementary schools who want to bring STEM into their classrooms. That's what we do. And the reason it's elementary schools as opposed to middle and high schools, and I've worked in uh, many high schools and middle schools before, but I'm a big believer in Stemology Education is a big believer that STEM has to start young. And the four C's, and we'll talk about all those in future episodes, but all these critical thinking skills, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, those are not the kinds of things that we can take uh, a STEM class in our junior year of high school and, and feel good about where we're at. This is a cultural thing. STEM is a culture within the building. It starts at the top, looking at you administrators. It starts there. It's a vertical and horizontally aligned system and a philosophy and an attitude that we want to bring to our partner schools all around the country and all around the world. But I don't want to spend the first 10 minutes of our first episode talking all about myself, because one of the things that we're really super excited about in this podcast is being able to bring you things that you can take away and use in your classrooms today or tomorrow or Monday, if you happen to be listening on the weekend. But I want to give you a few thoughts and some things that I've shared with many colleagues all around the country. Uh, I've worked in 35 states. I've done professional development in 30 of those states. I've done instructional coaching in the rest. Uh, I've talked to everybody from superintendents all the way down to the janitors in the school building. And I think uh, I'd like to think that I have a decent idea what I'm talking about. I've been blessed and very, very fortunate to work with some of the most talented and passionate people that I've ever met as I've had the opportunity to talk to many folks all around the country. But this is a passion of mine. I think you're going to hear that come out in my voice and you're going to hear that come out in this podcast. And I want to share with you all types of good information that you can take back to your classrooms tomorrow. But I want to talk about a couple of things today. First of all, I'm going to talk about the why in our lessons. I'm going to talk about the why, answering the question, as my old math teacher would put it. And I want to talk about one way that we can build in the real world into our classrooms and into a lesson. And for our daily segment, the classroom takeaway of the day is going to be a lesson using data in the classroom and not the kind of lesson that you would normally think. So stay tuned for that. But in our first segment, I want to talk about something that has 
really had me thinking a lot over the last few months as I've talked to teachers and administrators. And I am sure that everybody in here, if you're a teacher, you're an administrator, you've definitely heard this. And if you're a parent and you've never worked in the school system, I guarantee you you've asked this question. If you didn't have the courage to ask it out loud, you asked it in your head. Here's the question, the question that every kid in every classroom has. Why do we need to know this? When am I ever going to use this? <laughs> it's a really basic question. Now, my high school trigonometry teacher, Miss Ford, bless her heart, took the dictator approach to this question. She said, I believe in free speech and I, you should be able to say whatever you want, but you are not allowed to ask that question in this classroom. And I said, huh, okay. Of course, I was a junior in high school and I wanted to go to college, so if the teacher said that I couldn't ask that question, I didn't ask. And now, looking back on it, Trigonometry was the most difficult class that I ever took in my probably my entire academic career. And I think a big reason was I never saw the connection to the real world. I never saw a connection to reality, and I never had a good justifiable reason for putting myself through all that stress of learning. Because learning is not an easy thing. See, in order to get kids to learn, we have to do something called activate their minds. Now, we'll talk all about this in another episode, but if, if a mind is not active, it is going to be nearly impossible to have that mind form any type of concepts or retain any type of information. So when I was sitting in Ms. Ford's trigonometry class and I was told that I could never ask that question, I never, that entire school year, I never ever saw a good reason why I had to learn it. I did my best to learn it because I wanted to go to college. But I got a C in that class. Now, on the flip side, now this is going to sound, by the way, this is going to sound like I'm talking about how smart I am. This is not, this is not, that's not the point of this, okay? I'm just making a, uh, making a point here. But the next year I took calculus, high school calculus. I thought that class was actually really easy. And here's why I thought it was easy. From the day I walked in, we were greeted with real-world examples of when calculus was going to be used, okay? Calculating area under a curve, how it was used in bridge construction, how it was used by the astronauts in the Apollo program to calculate trajectories and orbits. I never had any illusion that I was going to be an astronaut, but at least I was like, okay, th this makes some sense. I understand this now. Not so with trig. And I ended up getting an A in calculus, and I am not that good at math, okay? I'm really not. I know that sounds like, oh, this guy's bragging an A in calculus. But my point is I saw a real-world connection there to what I was doing, and it gave me meaning, and it helped me drive through those slow processes. That's a super important question, and I'm going to prove it to you just using a little anecdote right here. If you're a teacher and administrator, you know you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, and even if you're not, you have sat in meetings with people at your job, and, and this, this question has come up. Imagine if you were sitting in a PD session, professional development session, and you're sitting there, and you raise your hand, and you say, well, this is nice and all, but w when am I ever going to need to use this in my classroom? 
How is this going to make me a better teacher? And if the answer comes back from that person that, oh, I'm not sure, but the district said you need to know this or something like that, how fast do you think you're going to pull up your email or your Facebook feed? Pretty fast. And I know this because I have witnessed it happen. It has happened to me. I've asked that question in a PD session as a teacher, and I didn't get an answer that was really all that good. And for the next three and a half hours, I bounced back and forth between fantasy football and Facebook and my email. Because if we don't answer that question, why do we have to know this? It is going to be very difficult for kids to want to learn anything in your classroom. So... A philosophical position that stemology education takes, that I take, that I advocate for all the time. When I'm working instructional coaching with teachers, this is something I say all the time. And any of the teachers that I've ever worked with will tell you this. That teachers must build in the answer to that question. When are we ever going to need to know this? They must build in the answer to that question into every single lesson plan. Everything. It has to start with the hook. It has to start with the instructional hook in the beginning by showing a real-world connection. And it has to continue and continually be emphasized as you work your way through any given concept. This does not make a difference what discipline you're in. Art, science, ELA, math, social studies, it doesn't matter. The answer to that question has to be in there. Now, I've used this phrase a few times. You say, okay, well, I'm teaching something really abstract, or I'm not sure when the kids are ever going to need to know this. Or you're teaching social studies, and you're talking about the Civil War, and you say, well, I don't think they'll need to know it. Here's what you do in that case. First of all, put some brain power into it. Because if, you, if we can't convince kids that this is important to know, it's going to be very difficult for them to understand and to, and to form any concepts. But the biggest thing that you can do is make a real world connection. And what I mean by that is you take the, the lesson concept, whatever it is, and you connect it to something in the real world. And even better, if you can connect it to a real world career, that is even more spectacular. If you can take kids through content in a way that an engineer would go through it or that an accountant would go through it or that an investigative reporter would go through it. If you can show kids that what we're doing right now in class is exactly what people get paid to do and the way we do it, that's going to go a long way to answering that question. Why do we ever need to know this? Now, you're going to reach 100%, 100% of kids all the time Probably unlikely. Okay, just being honest. Now, this is this is a podcast. This is not a official academic paper with a bunch of platitudes and and fantasy land. Okay, I'm also just by the way, as you continue to listen to the podcast, I'm not going to use what I call edu babble. All right, I'm not going to use these big uh, terms that kind of get thrown around in education when much much simpler language will suffice. So, if you're not a teacher and administrator, please don't be intimidated thinking that you can't get anything good out of this but a real world connection that is one of the cornerstones of the stemology philosophy and stem education in general 
And there's a reason that STEM education, that this approach to education has significantly grown engagement with kids. Kids get much more engaged in a lesson when they know the answer to why are we ever going to need to know this, and they're doing it in a way that they can see a connection to the real world. Now, instead of just preaching at you, because I don't want you to get the sense that this podcast is just preaching at you, what I want to do is give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I want to show you a real-world connection that could be made in a concept or a topic that you immediately, the why, why would we ever need to know this? You may not come up with an answer to that. All right. Let me talk about the real-world connection here. And this real-world connection I'm going to talk about is using data in your class. Now, all the teachers and administrators know what I'm talking about here. Or they think they know what I'm talking about here. See, normally when teachers talk about data, normally what they mean is their kids' test scores. And it's put on a spreadsheet and you've got, you know, and you've got your whole statistical analysis. So you've got a statistical analysis of 100 kids, okay, or something like that. All right. A lot of times in school buildings when you talk about data, that, that's what they're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is big data. Back in 2017, The Economist magazine so this is no tabloid uh, National Enquirer bit. The Economist, very well-respected magazine, late in 2017, made a bold claim. And that claim was that data is now more valuable than oil. Think about that for a second. Data is more valuable than oil. And in the story, which will be linked to us here on stemologyedu.com, but in the story, The Economist follows the stream of data, much like the oil industry. There's upstream and there's downstream. There's the oil that gets pumped out of the ground on one end. That's the upstream side. And the downstream is as that oil gets refined all the way down and all the different steps to make all the different products, that's called downstream. Data has the same way. Raw data on one side, refined data on the other but data being more valuable than oil because I've got news for you. Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, any company that is remotely technology-based that is in the Fortune 1000 uses huge amounts of data all the time to make decisions, to make strategic decisions, and certain companies are better at it than others. People get people like to hate on Jeff Bezos. He's the richest guy, and he treat you know the warehouse workers get treated poorly. Blah blah blah. Not really the point of this. My point is, Jeff Bezos was one of the first men in the world to see how to use data effectively and how to use it to a competitive advantage. There is all types of careers in data, and this is what you can tell your kids. If you're if you're a, a teacher right now, just just listen to the next few minutes because this is stuff that you can bring into your kids. There are huge career fields, very highly paid career fields that have to do with data gathering and data analysis. And here's the kicker. Now, this is going to sound dumb. I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. You don't have to be a math genius to use data, okay, professionally. All you have to do is be able to look at some charts and understand the relationships and make a decision. People get paid over 
$200,000 a year at these major companies to look at all this data, create charts, and make recommendations. This is a big, big, big career field. Think about that. Data is now more valuable than oil. Every company uses it. Every business uses it. So why not bring it into our classroom and use it to teach something? So here we go. This is our segment. This is your classroom takeaway of the day. Classroom takeaway of the day. And your classroom takeaway of the day is this. I'm going to go through a lesson that I was just working with a teacher on up here in Wisconsin. Fantastic lesson. This was a social studies lesson. Now, haha, you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm listening to a STEM podcast. What are we talking about social studies here? STEM as a philosophy is in every classroom, regardless of the discipline or regardless, basically what I say, regardless of the sign on the door. All right. You can use this STEM philosophy to get through to your kids. If you're an art teacher, if you're an ELA teacher, your social studies teacher, if you're a music teacher, it doesn't matter. You can use this philosophy to get through to your kids. And I'm going to give you an example of it right now. So this group of teachers, high school social studies teachers, were doing a lesson on uh, the great leap forward in China, Mao Zedong. Okay. And without getting too political on it, one of the things that they had talked about in the class quite a bit was the use of propaganda during that time. So as I was working with these teachers, we went back and forth and we were trying to answer the question, when are the kids going to need to know this? How, why is this important to them? And the answer to that question wasn't as clear as I would have liked. Right? Who needs to know about Mao Zedong in their everyday lives in order to put bread on their table? Not many people need to know about that. But what we decided was the way that we can deliver this will answer that question. The way that we're going to deliver this lesson is through using data. And there is a very strong real-world connection using data. So here's how the lesson went. This was a stations-based lesson, okay? So there's five rotations. So if you're teaching social studies or you're teaching anything, just take notes here, okay? Five stations around the room. At each station was a couple of things. There was a piece of Chinese government propaganda from the time period, all right? This was the type of stuff that, you know, showed how great Mao Zedong was and how great the Communist Party was and how, you know, fat and happy everybody was getting. Talk about propaganda a lot in social studies. And we also pulled some headlines from different newspapers around the world. And we put them there. And the question was very simple. And we used some classroom strategies for this. But at each station, the students had to do a couple things. They had to look at the art. They had to look at the propaganda. They had to look at the headline. And then what they had to do was compare the claims in the headline to a data chart that we provided for them. Now, just to give you an example of what one of these was, one of the things in the Great Leap Forward was the agricultural reforms that were coming in under communism. And of course, the Maoist government was talking all about how great it was and how much food they were producing and yada yada and so on and so forth. But publicly available information that it took the teachers and I about, I don't know, five minutes to find this showed that the death rate, the malnutrition, the infant mortality rate in China at that time period all went in very poor directions. Mortality went up, 
malnourishment went up, deaths by starvation, et cetera, et cetera. So we activated the kids' critical thinking skills by asking them to say, is this claim by this propaganda accurate or is this something that the data tells another story? Now, some teachers are kind of listening to this and go, oh, well, you know, you give them line charts and bar graphs and all of this. My kids haven't been exposed to that yet. How do I scaffold this? I get this question a lot from teachers. How do I scaffold this? Well, just remember that kids in this particular lesson, they didn't have to become data scientists in order to do this. All they had to do was read the chart. That's all they had to do. Was the line going up or was it going down? Was the scatter plot all over the place or was it in a pretty defined area? What did the pie chart say? What did the bar chart say? They didn't have to be experts in all these. All they had to do was be able to read it. And since it was a stations-based lesson, they were able to communicate and collaborate with their group mates. This lesson went amazing. This was one of the best social studies lessons I've ever seen because the kids came in, they knew they were going to be talking about communist China and the the revolution, and they had already almost, almost mentally checked out. Right. They'd almost been like, okay, we're just going to have to memorize a few dates and a few people and then, you know, we'll we'll get through this. But the impact of that first instructional hook that we gave that was all about data science and data analysis and how much money people get for this. And we tied it into sports. We tied it into the NFL because it was football season during the time. We tied it into AI and machine learning. And suddenly 10 minutes in, the kids were super excited about data analysis it was like wow this is like really something cutting edge and something that people use all the time so instead of leading with Mao Zedong this 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 oh we're going to use data we led with data and then brought Mao Zedong in on the back end of it and said this is how we can use data to study these events and the conclusions that the kids came to after going through all five stations And the discussion that was had at the end in their culminating activity was absolutely fantastic. They made a couple key thoughts or came to a couple key conclusions really independently. There was not a lot of structuring here at all. A couple of the conclusions they came to is, one, most of the time the propaganda was inaccurate. Okay, It's nice to have kids just come to that conclusion instead of you having to tell them, right? Secondly is they were completely able to understand why the economic data and why lifespans dropped and and this, that, and the other thing. They were immediately able to make that connection without just getting it fed to them through notes. It was awesome. They were able to get up and move around. It was a 90-minute block. They were able to complete all five stations in 90 minutes, and they were able to come to some fantastic conclusions. So use data to teach in your classrooms. It's amazingly effective, It is a real-world cutting-edge thing. It is going to do nothing but get bigger and bigger and bigger as an industry as time goes on. And you don't have to be an expert to come up with this stuff. There's just a couple of sources. And you can also find these on our website at stemologyedu.com. Click on the button in the top right to go to the podcast page. And there will be all types of data sources there for you. I'll put all those up there and all the data we use for the Mao Zedong lesson in high school social studies will be up there you can pull your own data sets you can pull whatever you want from there hopefully this has been something you get something out of i'm super thrilled to have kicked this off with such a great team of people and a a bunch of passionate educators 
Find us on the web at stemologyedu.com or follow us on Twitter at stemologyedu. This has been Josh Glessner. Thank you so much for a wonderful first episode. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to the Future EDU podcast. For more information and updates, check us out at stemologyedu.com or follow us on Twitter at stemologyedu. Until next time, take care.